Hello, and welcome to the NeverEnding Movie Marathon. I'm Alex. I'm Rocco. And I'm Matt. We're three filmmakers, friends, and film fanatics on a mission to curate the ultimate movie binge, one film at a time. With a strict policy, hashtag no stinkers. But before we kick things off, can you do us a huge favor and please follow, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. On this show, we do mini-marathons, short curations of your favorite films based on themes that we take turns picking. But this week, we're changing things up and talking about what we've watched lately. Most reviewers have their picks and pans on the never-ending movie marathon, It Stinks and Stands. <laughs> nice. That's right, Rocco. We'll pick one stinker we've seen in the past few weeks, plus one movie we've loved, or one that we're ready to stand for. Come on, we're hip with the internet parlance based on a totally non-problematic Eminem song from the year 2000. Anyway, let's get into it. Matt, <laughs> what are you ready to stand for? So I recently watched uh, the Danish film Riders of Justice from Anders Thomas Jensen, who directed the utterly absurd film Men and Chicken. Um, yes. Have you guys seen this? Oh, oh yes. yes. Oh, both of those films. Mads Mikkelsen plays Marcus, who's a soldier who returns home from war in Afghanistan to be with his daughter, Matilda, who has survived a fatal train accident that took the life of her mother. Um, Nikolai Lykos plays Otto, who's an obsessive statistician who also survived the train crash. Um, he shows up on Marcus's doorstep to present his theory that the accident was actually an assassination attempt of a witness set to testify against the leader of the Riders of Justice, a notorious and violent local motorcycle gang. Um, Otto's joined by two pathetic quarreling cohorts, uh, the three of which can easily be described as geeks and freaks. And together <laughs> they agree to help Marcus track down the men responsible for his wife's death. Things go haywire from there. And that's all I'm going to say about that to avoid some very juicy spoilers. Um, what, yeah. a, what a movie, what a fucking ride. Um, yeah. What a true possible <laughs> movie to predict what's yes. going next. Oh, and like what kind of movie is around each corner. Exactly. That's what I loved about it. Oh yeah. You think you got a beat on it and every time it, it, it takes a twist that you're like, Oh no, this complicates and takes not surprising, crazy out of, you know, the, the blue kind of twists. It's, it's more like, this is what would happen in real life. This is yes. the like yes. crushing reality of what life is like. Exactly. And, and the, probably the twist that I was least expecting is that by the end, all of these things add up to something that I, I found utterly touching, uh, yes. that, that yes. there's a lot to really get out of this movie. It's not unlike another round. In fact, um, you know, this is like an amazing follow up for Mads uh, from another round, uh, which was my favorite movie of 2020 last year. Um, but uh, but but, you know, it's like these aging older guys with all this baggage and, and trauma, you know, sort of coming together to succeed on a mission or a quest and all of the ugliness of their past falls out and spills out in all these different ways. And, and you feel for them in the end, despite all of their most despicable behaviors and quirks and stuff. Oh, I know. I mean, I was getting very teared up by the, the journey that Nicholas bro, the, the larger, yes. the largest of the nerds, <laughs> Uh, goes on um yeah he I, I not that it would ever happen but he's definitely on my uh best supporting actors uh oscar list this year i he he really got to me i thought he was so funny and touching and and weirdly obsessive compulsive uh in very realistic ways you know that played into the character very well mm. uh yeah and just when you when you get to the end of his journey and and <laughs> what what he wants out of life is, right is really really touching and awesome yeah 
this this one is this one is such a surprise i mean i knew to not try to expect anything after men and chicken just because men and chicken is so demented and so disgusting it is and so, so weird and brave. yeah that i thought maybe this one would be equally madcap or disgusting or anything but yeah it's it's just a, a completely different kind of film for him and and yeah to take like the the human side of taken or right. death wish like those revenge stories and and really take them to their like human conclusions like figure out what would happen in real life and push that idea holy shit it's it's a uh, it's a extreme catharsis by yeah. the end of it uh, it, I love it, it is it is it's such a touching story it's it's composed so well uh there is kind of like a scene that you almost forget about at the beginning of the film of this little girl and this yeah. bike and it is completely wrapped up at the end of the movie and it is obvious well it ends on christmas and it is literally the perfect bow on the ending of this film but also one thing that this movie does so well that other action films really don't do quite as well is the character development of each and every right. one of its characters. Like you really get to the core of every one of these people. You find out about their past. You find out about what makes them tick. You see initially what you think drives them. And then you find out as the onion is peeled back who these people really are. And it's yes, there are moments of brutal violence in which Mad Mickelson <laughs> kills people because, you know, he inside is feeling dead by the death of his wife. Um, so it is not just random violence. It is, it is actually on the basis of something, but it, it appears at times of being this really violent action movie. And it is so much more. And like you said, Matt, yeah. it's profound. It's yeah. like, it's, it's beautiful and it can bring you to tears by the end of it. And I, I'm so excited to see not only what these other actors do, because like I, I I'm, I'm obviously familiar with Mads, but the rest of the, of the team, I'm not quite as familiar with, but uh, Anders Thomas Jensen is a, a director that I've watched two of his other movies. And he is next directing a, um, a series uh, uh, in which it's, uh, what is it called? The the Monster of Florence, which is about a serial killer in Italy, I think in the 1960s or 70s. Wow. And he's one of the directors on that series. Perfect. I don't know if he's the showrunner, but he's at least one of the directors. I mean, this was this was Mad's fifth collaboration with Jensen. They they definitely have something going. Um, we interviewed Mad recently, and he refers to Jensen as like the Collins or David Lynch or Tarantino, but but not li actually like any of those guys. He's He's got his own brand, his own thing that he does. Um, I will say that the, the film is probably not for everyone. It's it's super violent. Mm -hmm. It's crass. It's totally offensive. And and maybe it doesn't all quite work. It's really trying to fuse um, some different tonal elements and, and story elements that work for the most part. But, you know, like the, there's a couple parts that I think we could maybe nitpick. But all that being said, like the, the thing that I really loved about this movie and, and the reason that I stand for it is that seeing a crossover attempt from an art house director uh, who's known for oddball kind of like dark and depraved films like Men and Chicken um, like getting to see him blend his taste for the absurd with a revenge thriller and the results of that fusion are utterly sublime. So yeah, great film yeah. And, and definitely recommend it to everybody. Well, almost everybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Maybe right, not everybody. Right. Maybe not anybody. I don't know. This is a weird I mean, movie. if you can stomach a John Wick movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I think, yeah. I think it's on that. Cause I, I mean, I saw this as like, you know, he's kind of a John Wick character just in his like execution profession, uh, professionalism. Uh, but if his helper crew was made up of the lone gunmen that right. um, yes. X files spin off of super nerds, Absolutely. like they, they almost kind of like look like that crew but uh yeah I, I, yeah they're they're 
they're brilliant. Great call. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, if you guys are looking for another Anders uh, Thomas Jensen movie, I haven't seen it in years, but uh, the, and it was before I'd seen Men and Chicken. I was not familiar with him, but The Green Butchers uh, is a wild, wild movie. Um, it's about two buddies that start a butcher shop. Somebody accidentally dies and they uh, basically use his uh, his body to sell, as meat. They sell his body. So, oh, okay. so um, yeah. That sounds that sounds in, very in fitting. The, yeah, Anders Thomas Jensen world. Right, right. All right, who's up next? I am up next, and the movie that I am covering is 2021's Pig. Nice. Starring Nicolas Cage, Alex Wolf, Adam Arkin, uh, and a, 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 a bevy of a bunch of other people that did a fantastic job in this film. But it is directed by first-time director Michael uh, Sornoski. And Sornoski actually has some a past in doing... Um, well, before I get into Sornoski's past, I'll, I'll just talk, tell a little bit about the movie. The basic conceit of the movie, as it is set up, seemingly is a revenge film about a, about a guy who has a truffle pig, and that truffle pig is taken away from him violently one night. And he's on a search to get his truffle pig back. Now, when this movie was presented to me about like, I want to say like a year and a half ago, because we did an interview with Alex Wolf and he talked about this movie. Uh, it sounded like John Wick. I thought it was going to be this right. action revenge film. And in actuality, it is a slow burn indie film about loss and coming to terms with loss. Um, and it is it is beautiful and it's con- like in, in its setup and it's actually really well done in its execution. I think I say if you're going to see this movie thinking you're going to get an action thriller, please prepare yourself. You are not getting an action thriller. You're getting something a lot different. But I, I think it's equally as great, if not better, uh, than what you initially thought it was going to be. Because there are so many beautiful little moments in it. And also, I I will say, if you do like noir, it has the setup of a noir. Like I said, it is a man looking for his pig um, uh, and uh, after a violent act. And there is this sensibility of a mythology built into the city, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are scenes in which he goes into the underground. He, you come to find out, is this mythic chef uh, who abruptly left Portland at one point in time. They talk about the eminent demise of Portland, uh, uh, by a you know like earthquake and like gigantic wave at one point in time there there are mythic sensibilities to it and there's even a point in time where he goes to like or one of the characters goes to a crypt to uh procure an item and it, it there's this seeming underworld this underbelly that exists but there's never guns that go off instead of that instead of shouting Nicolas Cage has quiet conversations about what people wanted out of their life like why are you why are you in this uh this this one position this one uh, uh element of, of your profession when you really wanted to do something else entirely. He has a, this, this is a profound conversation he has with the chef in a restaurant in which he fired and knew his dream and sees that his dream wasn't brought to fruition. And it's, I don't know, it's a movie that I just had like, I don't want to say a, like a gleeish sense throughout of it, but I was just glued to the movie the entire time. Yeah. It, I, I wonder if it was, I mean, it's certainly the mix of having Nicolas Cage in the movie and then seeing the trailer. I think this movie brought, there was a lot of preconceived notions going into it about what kind of movie it is. And so experiencing it for the first time, it's uh, surprises left and right on the, the decisions that they make. I mean, it's, it's funny. It's it, like, cause I watched riders of justice and, and pig in uh, back to back. And there's a lot of similar, 
similarities there in that kind of play on a on a genre and a genre structure and you can see the beats that are familiar um, but both films tend to take kind of left turns where where um, a Liam Neeson movie might you know go go a different way and and um, and so I, I really respected it for that and and yeah there's so much to to really unpack with with pig um, it, it was it was great yeah I absolutely loved it. Alex, you also got to see Pig, right? Yeah, I found it crushingly depressing. Yes. Um, not, not in a bad yeah. way. No, it uh, is. No. I just, yeah. I, I, yeah, the the headlines of John Wick with the Pig really sent me on the wrong direction. And we went and saw it at the uh, Dine-In Theater. And it is just such a somber tale that it doesn't it doesn't have the uh the release of a a revenge film you know it doesn't it doesn't mm. have those like those fist pumping kind of moments like th- things happen not to say you know nothing happens but it just it takes you on a different path and because of that it was really uh we're really affected by it but my wife and i were very yeah. depressed uh yeah. coming out of it and you know we're but we're both um very much dog people and pigs are very similar to dogs and you know we call one of our dogs our, our fat little chihuahua a pig pretty often um <laughs> he's even kind of brown uh in a similar way as as the the titular pig um and to think about you know having him taken away from me was just it was crushingly sad <laughs> in a lot of it I, cage is great um you know and uh he he already he already made that kind of revenge that violent revenge movie though that's that's mandy you know yeah that's like mm-hmm. he's done this movie. He doesn't need to make it again. And I, I like that Pig went in such a different direction. Um, but yeah, I just wasn't expecting such a such a somber and, and depressing film, to be honest. It it is a very somber film, but oddly enough, at the end of it, I was I found it oddly uplifting. And okay. I think it's obviously the death of anything is incredibly sad, but there is this notion at the end of getting over death, of getting over these things or getting over loss. Yeah. That kind of comes from the relationship that Nicolas Cage's character has with Alex Wolf, where they've both at, 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 in some um, you know, way lost or are in the process of losing. And they, based on their relationship, are going to continue it. You know, they they were at first, you know, truffle hunter and, you know, rare food like dealer and uh, who purchased truffles from said hunter. And now, like through going through this journey, they seem to be friends like they seem to actually be. And like the ending of their relationship is see you next Thursday. And he goes, see you next Thursday. And yeah. he goes back into the woods and Alex Wolf drives off in his Corvette. But both of them change for the experiences that they had. And I, I, I really like that. And to go back on the director really quick, uh, Michael uh, Sarnowski, he was he's been in production for a while. He's produced on a few other things, worked on some documentary stuff, but he worked on a documentary back in the day and basically got, uh, that got a, I think it got, it was a short documentary that got, um, nominated for, or was on the short list to get nominated for, um, uh, an Academy Award, which got him some attention, him and his producer, and basically gave them the funding and the footing to do a project that they wanted to do. And he started writing pig on the basis that he found out that a lot of people very, aggressively protect their truffle pigs and truffle dogs because they're worth a lot of money. In fact, they'll stay up all night sitting on their porch with a shotgun in hand just to make sure nobody tries to steal their dogs or pigs. And then from there, it became about the loss of his father at a young age. So all these things intertwined together. And he didn't even see Cage as being the initial actor for this film. It was somebody that Cage somehow found the script. He actually approached him and they had a conversation. And after having that conversation, he understood that Cage totally got the film and he was 
the right guy for it. And he wasn't going to try to run it off the rails in any crazy directions. Right. You know, wasn't there something where Cage was asked, like, what roles has he never played? And he said that he'd want to play a chef, an astronaut, or something else. I feel like there was something where a submarine captain, was that it? <laughs> this was like that years ago. And somebody was like, well, you know, what haven't you played? You've played all these different kind of roles. And he was like, I play a chef, a submarine captain, or an astronaut. If anybody has those scripts, just throw them at me. And wow. I, you know, here we go. Yeah. So here's the chef one. Yep. Uh, I'm currently working on my movie about a submarine captain who's also an astronaut. <laughs> just to hedge my bets and get Cage in it no matter what. But yeah. Is that, is that, is it did, did it just like did did he put the feelers out that you know maybe give me a chef script (laughs) yeah find me a chef script that's not a chef script even though it is a lot about cooking (laughs) oh yeah there is climactic uh you know cooking sequence oh absolutely really wonderful yeah also i just want to bring this up and in in an interview about pig cage jokingly said uh i've been set on fire i've been flipped in car uh flipping cars but i'll be uh it'll be sepsis from a pig uh from a pig bite that kills me because on the set he was bitten by the oh wow interesting And they only had one pig because they didn't have enough uh, money for an actor pig uh, who went through a week of training and they mostly got him to do takes or her to do takes by uh, waving carrots and food in front of her face. So, (laughs) (laughs) so who's up next, Alex? Uh, What's your stand? Yeah, I'm here to stand for a sweet little indie that probably flew under your radar. It's a movie called Yellow Rose. And uh, this is a movie that um, I remember seeing the trailer for a while back and I've just been wanting to see it. It unfortunately came out during COVID. It had a little bit of a festival run in 2019, and that's why you'll see uh, 2019 as its uh, release date Hmm. on IMDb. But for the most part, it was released during COVID in 2020, Um, got a very tiny release, and I was able to catch it on Netflix DVD because I still get my DVDs in the mail. (laughs) Um, But this is a movie about a uh, young uh, Filipina teenager um, who lives in uh, a small town outside of Austin, Texas with her mother. They work in a hotel um, and she dreams of one day being a country music star. I mean, she wants to write music at first. She does sing. She does play. She just doesn't have that confidence to get out there and get up on stage. Um, And she, you know, dreams of visiting the big city, finally makes it to Austin one day. And when she does, when she gets to go to Austin at the same time, her mother, both of them are undocumented um, immigrants in in, uh, America, ends up getting picked up by ICE and they throw her into detention and are trying to send her back to um, the Philippines. Uh, Meanwhile, Rose, our hero, is left behind and is trying to make it on her way. She ends up uh, coming across a real country music singer um, played by Dale Watson playing himself, actually. Mm. And she he kind of takes her under her wing. And why this movie? I mean, I, I love these kind of stories. I love, you know, a, a young dreamer with a big dream kind of movies, of course. Um, but what really I, I gravitated towards and I love country music, of course. Uh, but what I gravitated towards is that she when she gets her one night in Austin, Texas, they go to the Broken Spoke. 
the oh, last wow. dance hall in Texas. Yep. And they spend all this time at the Broken Spoken. Uh, all three of us have been there for <laughs> Matt's yeah. bachelor party. That's right. Um, it's one of my favorite places on earth. We, we Matt, you and I, we first went there during South by Southwest. Right? Yeah. The one year that we went. Yeah. yeah. And as they as they introduce every night, it's the last of the true Texas dance halls and damn sure proud of it. And they've been open <laughs> since 1964. And it's just kind of this like, you know, wonderful place to catch that old timey Texas and and dance. You know, right. it's really about like going there to like to dance with a partner, which is just kind of like an old old kind of style thing. You know, it's not everybody facing the stage. It's it's people like, you know, uh, uh, kind of old old style fancy dancing i guess <laughs> it is and in a place yeah. where you'll see i mean austin is full of legends but there's a uh, youtube video floating around of somebody who who spotted terrence malick of all people there dancing oh. with his <laughs> wife and like it's a place yeah. where yeah you can really i mean people know about people go to um anytime yeah. you're in austin texas it is a absolute must must do like there's there's no yes. doubt about it it's a, it's a uh, institution and a national treasure yeah and she loves it and what's what's even better about it is that they uh there's a character who plays the owner of the broken spoke in the movie oh, wow. and when she finds out that rose the the main character uh doesn't have anywhere to go that her mother has been you know is being deported or possibly uh is in this detention center that she says you can live here you can work here oh, like i know that you want to be um you know like you want to do country music you've got a beautiful voice like live in the back room clean up around here learn country music here's dale watson he hangs out here all the time he's probably drunk but <laughs> he can teach you about country music and then they like start collaborating and everything but like it makes you see that like the broken spoke is this wonderful place, you know, I mean, I'm hoping that they agree with that uh, and that they were OK with using it as that um, they would be a asylum for a person who needs it uh, and that they would, you know, protect these people that that need the most protection. Um, so I don't know. It just it made me feel great about the Broken Spoke and and just seeing it again. And there's a lot of concerts and stuff there. And I I just that of course you know immediately seeing that being like hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope more people yeah, love the place. Although I don't hope it doesn't get too popular so that we can't you know make it in the door there. Anymore. True. True. I've heard about this movie, Alex, and I've been yeah. waiting to watch it for so long. And you just talking about it is definitively to push it at the top of my list. I, I really need to check this out. Same. Yeah, definitely. And so just a little bit about the people behind it. It's directed by uh, Diane Paragas. Um, this is the first major Filipino film released theatrically by a Hollywood studio, and that's Sony Pictures. So it's, you know, it's it's a somewhat of a landmark film, even if it's not getting that much that much press. Um, the star is uh, Eva Noblezada. She's fantastic. Um, she really got to me. And like, you know, I'm not going to say that this is a groundbreaking story that you haven't heard before it's it's you know i i've kind of laid all of it out you're you know where it's going to eventually go um but it still is so well done and so well acted and she's so good and her voice is so good and that's uh because you know she is a um broadway star she actually was uh nominated for a tony in her broadway debut she was playing kim in miss saigon in 2017 hmm. and in the movie her her aunt is played by Leia Salonga, um, who originated the Miss Saigon role as Kim on Broadway back in the day. Wow, wow. Um, Salonga is also the singing voice of Princess Jasmine and Mulan in the old Disney animated movies. Um, oh, amazing. That makes sense. Yeah. They took a lot of Broadway stars for, for those. Yeah. 
and never let them really take any credit for it. <laughs> right. you know, there's so many people that like Disney kind of like kept behind the scenes. But yeah, she's a she's a Disney princess. She's a Disney legend uh, as well. And she just has a small part playing kind of this uh, conflicted aunt of of uh, Rose who doesn't know if she should take her in because, you know, she's could be a liability because she is also an undocumented um, person. So it just, it's, it's a great story. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of heart in it and um, adding a real country star, adding Dale Watson into the mix too, who is just a great old timey country shit kicker. Um, and he adds that like extra level of reality and just, you know, just fun to it. And they, they do a song together. Uh, that's like just a wonderful one called square peg that, I mean, you can you understand what it's about. It's about how she doesn't yeah. fit in, but it's really mm -hmm. it's wonderful. I I just it warms my heart, and it's nice to see a sweet little movie like this once in a while raise right you know raise to the top and uh, have have some just real raw heart in it. I uh, that's that's wonderful for me to see, and I I want to see what's next for all these people. I hope I hope uh, Noble Zada gets gets some prominent roles because she is really really good and. She's got pipes, too. Nice. All right. But enough about the stuff we can stand for. <laughs> Let's get into the stinks. Ooh, all right, Matt. Yeah. What are you what are you saying? <laughs> what, what are you seeing recently that you, you're holding your nose up at? Um, what stinks? So this one. Yeah, I've got a lot of feelings on this one, um, but it's definitely falling into the stink category. It's Disney's Jungle Cruise. Um, P.U. <laughs> P.U. Um, this for anybody who doesn't know, uh, this is Disney's latest attempt to turn one of their legendary theme park rides into a summer blockbuster. Dwayne the Rock Johnson plays Frank, uh, a bored riverboat captain who agrees to take the adventurer Lily, played by Emily Blunt, and her very irritating brother on a quest to find the tree of life. Um... Yeah. Okay. So let's start with the good, because truth be told, I I didn't totally hate it. Um, there is some fun to be had. It looks amazing. Um, the prologue for one is way cooler than it deserves to be, and it's not just the prologue. It's it's the mythology behind the movie. It's the story of Agira and the quest for the Tree of Life. Um, the real life adventurer who who took his his men through the Amazon jungle and um, you know, like trying to find the 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 mythical Tree of Life. It has several nods to the fountain, which the Aronofsky nerd in me definitely appreciated. And <laughs> and it was beautiful. Like it's a big budget spectacle that I got to enjoy on my big screen TV, which, you know, is, is something that, that comes few and far between these days. So a, a huge Disney Disney fied um, sequel to a, to Werner Herzog's Akira Wrath of God. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, sign me up. Totally, totally. Yeah, on yep. board. However, uh, the setup this is a setup that has worked for, uh, wonders for Disney in the past with their Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Um, but Jungle Cruise, I think, is one that'll sit on the shelf next to Haunted Mansion and even worse, the Country Bears. Um, <laughs> oh, I like the Country Bears. <laughs> Sorry, guys. So it's, it's not sucks. good. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. So like the, the first thing that stuck out to me is that it's ripping off bits from The Mummy, from the Indiana Jones movies and the Pirates of the Caribbean movies without putting any twist of its own on them. Um, I felt mm. like the jokes were kind of lame, but I really felt like the actors, especially The Rock, didn't want to be there. The Rock is so absent from his own performance halfway, you know, for most of the movie. It's it's really becomes distracting at one point. And it's uh, like halfway through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I don't know. I mean, it, it, it was um, it was an enjoyable watch, but one that was uh, so rot with just things you've seen before in other movies, things that have been done better in other movies. Um a really basic kind of formulaic 
plot that um, that does go somewhere, but but again, it's like it's it doesn't feel like as as fresh and new. But the the other thing that I thought was surprising is that it doesn't you know lend itself to a sequel. Like there's no franchise behind it, and this is one movie where I actually kind of hoped it would. I don't know. There was enough cool stuff that they were playing with that I thought there were some opportunities there to go farther beyond it. Um, but in the end, it was just kind of you know uh, it was what I thought it was gonna be despite um one significant twist that i so i'm yeah here's the other thing i'm trying not to give away a big twist that happens in the middle that made me really roll my eyes uh yeah um i don't know if there's much you more can go say. for it i think i think you know i i, I don't yeah, think spoiler, anyway. spoiler yeah. okay spoiler 30, alert. yes 30 seconds ahead yeah, if, skip, if you, skip ahead uh <laughs> the rock is is invincible and yeah. <laughs> uh, also turns into a literal rock at the end. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that was about the only thing that I found interesting just because it was funny to me that the rock is a rock. The now. rock turned into a rock. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, dude, it's, it's, it's so lame. It is such a inert property mm. all the way through. Mm-hmm. And you're totally right. Like it doesn't seem like anybody involved wanted it to have a sequel. So they're just like, look, we're, we did it. This is contractually yes. obligated. We right. made a jungle cruise movie. We've said we were going to do it for a while. Look, Paul <laughs> Giamatti got all sunburnt for it and nobody else had a good time. Well, I okay, guess, no, Jesse Plemons had a good time. Yeah, exactly. So you're <laughs> yes. calling out two, two other good things is that, is that Paul Giamatti's in it and fine. And, and Jesse Plemons is a special, uh inspired in this movie yeah Plemons like putting a flag in the idea that he can be the Paul Giamatti of your movie true you know like where yes. he's yeah, kind of saying true. like yeah <laughs> I could have played either of these roles but I I mean yeah Plemons is fucking great I, I hope he does a lot more weird wacky stuff uh but just in movies that I would actually watch again and actually yeah one if you want to see a more fun movie with Plemons in a goofy ass role watch game, game night because that's a yeah. oh, it's a right. far yeah. far yeah. superior yeah. movie and everybody's good in that movie that movie's actually fun and funny and Plemons plays a total fucking weirdo again and is fantastic yeah. in it Plemons is the reason that I actually had some fun with this movie Paul Giamatti as well there's some fun moments in it I I, I realized about Five minutes in, I'm like, I have to turn my brain off. I'm like, I have yes. to, like, I'm not going to enjoy this ride uh, if I have this analytical brain of mine. So I literally just shut it off and I'm like, okay, I'll enjoy it for what it is. But to go off what you're saying about a sequel, I was reading an article the other day. They're already in talks for a sequel. So okay. well, I, even though they don't even set it up for yeah, a sequel, I was gonna say, what are they going to massively, do? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, have a baby <laughs> fall into the, yeah. <laughs> fall into the traps. Also, that's oh, another thing we should say. The Jungle Cruise yeah. returns. Uh, right. I mean, it's, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. There is no sexual chemistry between oh, yeah. the two of them at all. Uh, between Blunt and the and the Rock, like nothing that exists there. It's, yeah. Well, he's he's four hundred years great. old and somehow has no accent whatsoever. Just sounds no. like fucking Dwayne Johnson. And, you know, doesn't but even have like any his sort trademark of, charisma. I felt like was gone. I loved him with curls. I loved him with curly oh, sure. hair <laughs> and a helmet on. And I laughed out loud yeah. so hard with the yeah. shot. That but, shot. Not to say that it's good. It looked shitty. I just thought it was funny. Um, the Rock yeah. loves telling dad jokes. He loves puns. He loves being Uncle Handsome and doing all of his, <laughs> you know, cutesy, like fun for everyone shtick. Like that's him right. doing being a punny dad kind of like goofball, like, oh, yeah, you know, hey, hey, hungry, I'm dad. Like that kind of <laughs> dumb and fucking jokes. Yeah. <laughs> and then when he is tasked with being a skipper of the Jungle Cruise, 
a role that has been in the parks for 60 years and is only ever there to tell those exact kind of dad jokes and to look so bored Mm -hmm. and completely deliver them lifelessly and look like you were just like checking boxes as you're doing them. That killed me. That was where I was Mm -hmm. like, I, I, I'm not even turning my brain off. Like I'm not even letting this movie soak into into my brain at all i'm just like looking at it it is making noises at me but i just it yeah you're right it's just nobody wanted to be there a better fit for this movie would have been another professional wrestler probably john cena john cena probably would have executed better in this role than, yeah. than the rock would i'm i've come around on cena man i'm 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 team cena now uh, uh, <laughs> I, I never thought i would say it but yeah. cena cena has been surprising and delighting me lately and uh yeah Cena, Team Cena for life now. Right. For life is usually a short period of time, but for now, for life. <laughs> for now and for <laughs> At life. At least next Cena. week on, on this podcast, for sure. Yes, exactly. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, like uh, on the whole thing of the sequels, they have a show coming up from Ronald D. Moore about the Society of Explorers and Adventurers, C-S-E-A. It is a internal universe that they have made within the parks to connect the different rides to one another the guy who started uh the thunder express why am i forgetting the name big thunder express um the the train ride that i always get confused yeah, yeah, yeah. with the name of the band from king of the hill big thunder Mount, or big thunder fudge cake um but anyways <laughs> the guy who started the train ride at disneyland and disney world is this character that belongs to C and is the same guy who also built uh which um oh the collector from you know T- Lord Tavon the collector he built the the um galaxy Guardians of the Galaxy ride he is also in C all these characters mm. belong to this like special society that go around the world the 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 guy who caught the yeti and put it in the ride in uh Animal Kingdom in uh, Disney World okay and Ronald D Moore the Battlestar Galactica and Outlander writer is creating a series for Disney that connects all of these rides uh, and there's a whole okay. society of explorers and adventurers within the movie that I thought they were going to set up that this was where they were going with this but they didn't even have the wherewithal to do you know to actually to check that box i guess if they're this is what this is you know they got so close to it yeah well but you're right though maybe that's what they maybe they that's how they connect this with a sequel or maybe it's how they tee up but they didn't give us anything no definitely not that was the thing i was looking for exactly yeah a way better movie would have been a rat race version of a bunch of explorers trying to get to the same thing Uh, at the same time yeah Yeah. like where it's it's like Like, a wacky racer yes like type of situation in which there is tons of hijinks i would have loved that and then you can just have like paul giamatti's in a boat yeah jesse plymouth danny devito's uh, in a boat i love it bring mr bean back from rat race yes uh sold i'm in hire us please (laughs) hire us to make this movie (laughs) all right uh shall we move on to the next stinky let's do it (laughs) yeah uh which which is mine which is 2012's abraham lincoln vampire hunter Mm. directed by tamor bekmambatov uh, a russian director who did other movies like Wanted, uh, Nightwatch, a few other things like that, but is starring as Abraham Lincoln, Benjamin Walker. Uh, and then the rest of the cast is pretty crazy. Uh, Dominic Cooper's in it. Mary Elizabeth Winstead's in it. Jimmy Simpson's in it. And Rufus Sewell is in it as the main bad guy vampire, Adam. So playing one of his classic roles of being a dickhead Brit. Uh, but this movie is absolutely insane. And from the title, I think kind of explains it all, but I'll give the premise. Uh, it is about 
about Abraham Lincoln. And as a young man, his mother was killed by a vampire. So he becomes a vampire hunter uh, and is trained by a vampire to do so, Dominic West. And it is involved in a massive war for the United States soul against not only the South, but for vampires as well, because the vampires are part of the South uh, and using humans as cattle. Uh, The movie is insane. The movie is at a few times pretty offensive, uh, but there is one part in it that I want to highlight the most because it is truly just baffling to watch. Um, the director, Tamor, is a Russian guy. He uh, comes from a, um, you know, special effects background, did these uh, night watch, day watch movies, which are actually also about vampires and monsters and things in Russia that have they're just very, very interesting and and cool to watch. They're not necessarily the greatest plots, but like cool stylization, really uh, like well put together. Um, then got his like first crack at American filmmaking, I believe with Wanted, and then made a few other films from there. Uh, he, he did the 3D remake of Ben-Hur right. a few years ago, yeah. which was atrocious. <laughs> um, but this, he tries to set up some pretty cool action sequences. And at one point in time, he is fighting against a vampire, the vampire in which, who killed his mother, finally, after after years and years and it elevates at one point in time that they're involved into a like they're pushed into a horse stampede and so they are literally ducking and diving through horses riding them at some point in time but the culmination or the, literally the best part of it is the vampire he is fighting picks up a horse by the legs swings it around in a circle and then throws it at abraham lincoln it hits abraham lincoln and instead of crushing him to death, he just rolls out from underneath it, jumps on top of a horse and continues to fight the vampire. The movie has no logic. Uh, Abraham Lincoln is a superhuman. When he hits trees with his axe, it explodes. Like instead of cutting or putting a hack into it, it literally explodes into a bunch of like wood chips. Uh, and there are so many laughable moments in it. But also Jimmy Simpson, unfortunately, has a ridiculous wig in the movie that he has to wear <laughs> and just look like a total weirdo. Uh, but it's funny to watch him on screen at any point in time. Wow. Uh, have either of you two seen have this not, but it was always uh, curious. I mean, obviously the, the title itself and just the overall appeal. I've always, and I've always seen this movie on streaming platforms and that kind of thing and wondered what the heck it is. But I also remember that um, Tim Burton produced it, didn't he? Like, I always thought that that was an interesting collaboration between Timur and, and Tim Burton. Timur and Timber. Uh, I think they also uh, collaborated on that movie. What was it called? Like nine or something like that. Oh, right. Oh, the, the animated film in which it's about the little, little, little bag man. They, neither of them directed it, but I think they both produced on that film. And they were keeping Seth Graham Smith really busy that year because that's the same year that, uh, he wrote dark shadows for Tim Burton. Okay. So he was, yeah, it must've been, they were, you know, working with that guy, which, and, and for those who don't know, Seth Graham Smith is the guy who wrote the book in which this was based oh, off of. Oh, right. It was a uh, quote-unquote book at one It point. was a quote-unquote <laughs> book. He also wrote, he also wrote, which was turned into a movie, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Um, that actually got made into, I remember the, the book coming out. That but, got made into a movie. It did not do well, but that got made into yeah. a movie. There was a series of these, right? Weren't there more that they were? Um, there was a sequel. There was a sequel to this one in which it's crazy. I, Cause I read like the, the, the Wikipedia, like just summary of it. And in, in the, at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, Abraham Lincoln dies. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How in the original book, uh, Dominic West's character, Henry Sturgis, a vampire, turns him into a vampire so they continue so they can continue to fight against uh, vampires in America throughout history. 
But at the beginning of the sequel book, I think he realized he had made a mistake. And uh, right when like um, Lincoln had t- been turned into a vampire, he kills, he com- like commits suicide by jumping into a fire. So like, it's like literally he does a thing that he's like, I don't think I should have done that. I'm going to fix my uh, my mistake and kill off Lincoln right away. And the second Good. book is about Henry Sturges's character fighting vampires throughout American history and famous moments in American history. Um, yeah. <laughs> Hey, it could be kind of fun. The movie isn't though. It's yeah. bad. It's 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 very bad. Do you know who made Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? I I don't know who made that. I can look it up real quick. Burr Steers. Oh, the director, writer, director of Igby Goes Down. Oh, oh really? Huh. Yeah, he's had a really weird career. He's coming back with Chapel Weight uh, pretty soon. Oh, right. Though, yeah, that's right. I'm I'm like almost interested in watching Pride and Prejudice and Zombies just because of his <laughs> uh, his. I mean, oh god, it's Lily James, Sam Riley, Jack Houston, Bella Heath. It's got a good cast. Uh, Suki Waterhouse. I mean, what? Yeah, Lena Headey, Matt Smith, Charles Dance. Mm-hmm. Now I'm getting mad at this movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine, whatever. Fine, I'll watch it, Rocco. I'm not going to watch the one you talked about, though. I'm going to watch this other one, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's it's absurd. Um, but now now uh, uh, Seth Graham Smith is just doing a lot of TV and movies as well. He was at one point in time supposed to direct the Flash movie, but he, like many other directors, yeah, got everyone booted, was. Yeah. Uh, booted from the project. So, yeah. All right, Alex, what do you got? All right. I am going to cheat just a little bit because this movie is a stinker. It is 100% a stinker. I can't even try to uh, argue that it isn't, but it is a stinker that I stand for. This is a movie called Malibu Express. It's from 1985, and it's by the writer-director Andy Sidaris. Um, This is the first in his unofficial 12-film series that ran from 85 to 98 called uh, Triple B, Bullets, Bombs, and Babes, or Bullets, Bombs, and Boobs. Uh, It's also known as Lethal Ladies or Girls with Guns. Um, You've probably heard of the next one in the series. That's Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Oh, right. Uh, Which, yeah, that that one was uh, at least a scene from it. The one where the uh, skateboarding assassin holding a blow up doll uh, gets exploded by a rocket launcher. Um, That was kind of like early Internet gold. Uh, (laughs) I love this kind of bullshit um, and am always uh, getting, you know, if there's any kind of like outsider auteur who has a very specific kind of style and tries to make a bunch of movies neil breen let's oh, say right. you guys yeah. have ever seen any neil breen movies or you know tommy was so he only got the room but if like if was so had been able to make a whole bunch of rooms and all of the different styles this is what the kind of thing is and andy sidaris is this really interesting innovator uh if of live sports production was where he came out of and when he had done that for years and years and had actually won an emmy for it he decided late in his career that he was going to start making these movies and he made them the way he wanted to he hired a lot of playboy playmates to play the women roles in them uh there's a lot of um horny bullshit throughout all of it it's it's very uh you know r-rated again that's why i can't uh stand for this completely but the movies are a lot of fun and really funny and really ridiculous this first one malibu express from 85 is about a cowboy who is also a private investigator um he lives on a boat but because his mother was afraid of boats they have the boat behind a 
like theater flat that has a train caboose painted on it so that the mother would think that she was going into a train caboose when she was living on the boat. And then it's just a like wacky private eye kind of uh, adventure about trying to find some sort of computer technology. And it keeps coming back around to having to involve, you know, Playboy playmates and uh, explosions and cool cars and a lot of, you know, this guy parachuting into situations. It's it's a rip off of a rip off of a, of a carbon copy of James Bond. Uh, but if James Bond was like a redneck cool guy um, <laughs> who lived in a boat uh, and was way dirtier and <laughs> depraved than uh, James Bond even is. Um, but really this guy, Andy Sedaris came onto my um, radar on this really great article in Paste Magazine that Jim Vorrell wrote. And it wrote about how he grew up the son of Greek immigrants in Louisiana. And he rose through the ranks in live sports production, as I was talking about. And he was the first director to send handheld cameras onto the field during a football game. Hmm. He innovated that back in the 60s. He wins an Emmy in 1968 for his Summer Olympics coverage. And he also developed, and this is very trademark of his, he developed the honey shot, as he called it, which is when there's a slow moment in the game, cut to the cheerleaders or an attractive fan in the stands uh he he developed this and again you know then he comes back around he had made a few movies here and there throughout his career and he had done one in the 70s but this is like the push in the 80s where he starts making all of these like wacky trash movies that right. would play forever on the usa channel i mean these are <laughs> these are the movies that aspire to be on uh you know uh movies for dudes who like movies right um, yeah right yeah yeah they're they're great and then it also you know despite all that you would imagine that it is all set to like roaring electric guitar or you know a little bit of saxophone but weirdly it's all done by one composer it's this guy named henry strizlecki and he is a like hee-haw bassist from back in the day he's a nashville studio musician for like everyone from Willie to Waylon to Johnny to Merle to Bob Dylan. And one time he makes a, he composes a movie. It's Malibu Express. And all of it is based on like an old Carter family song. So it's a lot of like weird picking and like, you know, kind of like down home uh, wildwood flower, mostly uh, just this kind of like, you know, acoustic noodlers while this weird <laughs> stuff's going on. It, none of it fits together in any way, but like just trying to figure out how it all came together and why it exists even is why. I love it so much and why I get so excited about it. And yeah, I'm, I'm, this is the beginning of me getting into Andy Sedaris is really where I'm like planting the flag on this one is like, I love this. This is garbage. I'm going to, I'm going to have to see everything that he's done. <laughs> I've, he's been somebody that I've, I've heard of before, obviously because of hard ticket to Hawaii. And right. uh, again, one of those people that's been on my, like, it's a movie that's been on my list for, for so long. I like, though not directed by him. And I think it's very different. Like movies like this, like Miami connection, I think are so sure. weird and bizarre and insane. And if you've ever heard or have uh, seen a, a box for a movie called uh, the rollerblade seven, do yourself a favor oh, and right. try to watch yeah. it because yeah. it's, <laughs> absolutely impossible i think these are a little bit better i think he actually has a, a basis of a story to it oh i don't know <laughs> Close. i mean it's it's yeah it's it's similar ilk for sure i mean the just the titles alone hard ticket to hawaii picasso trigger savage beach guns his 1990 movie is just called guns do or die hard hunted fit to kill day of the warrior and then his final film L-E-T-H-A-L, -E ladies, return to Savage Beach, which I remember being at uh, Blockbuster 
all through my childhood. I remember that Savage Beach box with like the babes, like, you know, scantily clad on the front of it, walking by it as like, you know, a 12 year old being like, oh, I, like, oh, I can okay. rent that one. But, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God, these movies are so ridiculous. I, I, I feel like I have seen their covers before because I just have that picture in my mind of like, yeah. A woman with like an AK forty seven and like a rock, like a grenade launcher on the bottom of it, and then yeah. like a like a like a shotgun on the other hand, just like both of them in like a tiny bikini on a beach somewhere with an explosion behind them. Like yeah, it's I've seen it's that the before. video that Samuel Jackson watches in Jackie Brown. I mean, Tarantino uh, right. at some point exactly. saw these movies, exactly. is aware that they exist, probably is a fan of them <laughs> on Definitely. some level, Definitely. and yeah, and trans you know transferred that into uh, into Jackie Brown. Nice. All right. Well, that's all of our stinks and stands. Do you guys see any kind of mini marathon that you guys can make <laughs> out of any of these movies and what that what the title would be of that mini marathon? Well, five out of these six, I think you could make a case for uh, an extra helping of uh, tough guy bullshit. Um, yeah. <laughs> the exception being Yellow Rose. So maybe, I don't know, tough guy bullshit and the, the things that happened at the broken spoke. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we well, don't have to include all of them, but yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a definitely good one. Yeah, it is kind of the outlier. Uh, you could do, I mean, uh, I mean, maybe you could include Malibu Express in there as well. Maybe you could do alternative histories with Jungle Cruise and Abraham Lincoln Van Empire Hunter. Oh, there and you then, go. you know, yeah. Malibu Express is just, you know, since it took place in the past, we'll call it an alternative history. <laughs> it it exists in a different timeline than our own. Uh, definitely. Yeah. It, it, there's a different kind of world going on. And just, yeah, uh, it doesn't maybe take place on Earth 616. Mm hmm. Um, you could also do a sad boys marathon for with uh, riders of justice and pig and uh, mm. I guess Abra Abraham Lincoln fit by now because he's quite a sad boy. <laughs> well, in Jungle Cruise, because The Rock is really sad on the inside. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. can see it through his whole performance. <laughs> yeah, you can. Um, you can see the pain in his eyes. Yeah, there is a, a uh, you know, a genre twist, um, maybe mini marathon that we could do that is is things like Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, Pig and, and Riders of Justice, which um, follow like a, a conventional genre structure, but have um, take artistic liberties with it and try to do creative things with it. Uh, Yellow Rose to some degree, I, I'd imagine as well. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I think there could be something there. Yeah, that's a good one. Definitely. I like these. Well, that's it for our first edition of Stinks and Stands. We are Alex, Rocco and Matt. Let us know if you think this episode stinks or stand for it in an Apple podcast review. You'll feel so much better about life when you do. You definitely will. And we'll see you next week with some more fun stuff. Until then, send us questions, comments, the president you want to see fight monsters, and your suggestion for the next mini marathon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Millard Fillmore. <laughs> <laughs>